And so with that being said, we're in Hebrews chapter one. Um, so as you're reading this, know this, that you've got people from all around the world, from Europe and Africa and Asia and, and, and the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States all coming together right now to read the word. That is incredible, guys. So let's get together. Let's do it. Lord, speak to us, Lord. We thank you for what you have done and what you continue to do. We seek to hear your voice. Hebrews 1, it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days, sorry, in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Wow. They will perish, but you remain. And they will glow. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You folded them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to the angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him over the works of your hands. You have put things in subjection under his feet for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. 
But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death to to sorry taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And as much then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, Hmm. and release those through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he has, sorry, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoining of the hope firm to the end. (laughs) Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of the trial of wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. And if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, it was not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses. 
not with whom he was angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he not swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have comfort short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do not enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Hmm. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David today, after such a long time, as it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he has entered his rest as himself, also ceased from his works as God did from his. Hmm. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hmm. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest, chapter five, and we'll stop at five. Well, maybe, maybe six. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. God, sorry, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. (laughs) Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God that you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We'll stop at six. Therefore, Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift to have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and to have tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. For if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. (laughs) For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel conformed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of, of the soul. Be sure and steadfast in which enters the presence behind the veil. For the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus, 
having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We're going to stop right there. Um, this was a lot to read. Um, Hebrews is arguably the most uh, mature book in the Bible. Um, Hebrews is, and when I say mature book, I'm not saying it's the oldest book, but it's the book that is most meaty, one of the most meatier uh, portions of scripture. Um, the book of Hebrews is not for the new believer. I, I hate saying it that way. Uh, and, and the only reason why I hate saying it that way is because there's so much to unpack from it. Um, it, it, it is a heavy, yeah, it, absolutely. It is a heavy read. It, it's a heavy read, but not only is it a heavy read, but even in its reading, there's so much to explain and unpack from it to really understand it. The book of Hebrews is one that you wouldn't say is a devotional book. <laughs> it's a Bible study in and of itself. And Hebrews is the kind of book that when it aligns, you begin to understand the core fundamental foundational, theological, soteriological, pneumatological, hamartiological implications of the scriptures and how those implications influence our everyday lives. It's heavy. It's a heavy book. And so I don't blame a believer, you know, especially a new believer who reads it and goes, Man, I don't know what I just read because there's just a lot there. And 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 I'm with you. Uh, I understand it because even till this day, as much as I read it, I go back to it and I'm still unpacking and 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 unraveling all these layers. Um unraveling all these layers. So I'm not here to do that. Um uh, I'm not here to do that specifically because I, that's a Bible study in and of itself. And Hebrews is a book that you can spend months, years on just talking about because there's so much there. And because Hebrews connects with so many different things in the scriptures, it takes us back. It takes us back because again, what the author of Hebrews is attempting to do is, is the author of Hebrews is helping bring understanding to how we reconcile um, the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ in response to the entire narrative of the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament. And if anybody wants to know, like, what is the story of the Bible? Let me make sure I'm just going to give you some context and then I'm going to get to what the Lord is saying, because I only have a few minutes. Um, if I could just give context to this, we, we read the Bible but if we read the Bible within the redemptive story, this is a story of God redeeming his people back to himself. That's what the Bible is. It climaxes in the Gospels, but then we see the implications of that throughout the, 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 um, the New Testament books. And then Hebrews just brings full understanding, brings it all back to full circle. But if you ask what is the Bible and what is this story about, it's really about... <laughs> 
this perfect God who in his omniscience and his his infinite creativity and his infinite love and grace and beauty created all things in perfection. He's a perfect God who created everything perfectly and yet he wanted to insert himself into the creation that he created and so he created man. Stay with me here. He created man and unlike everything else that God created, he created human beings who were created from the ground out of the flesh but then he breathed his spirit into him. And that's where we read in, in Genesis chapter two, that he breathed into the man and the man became a living being, a living soul and a fesh. And so this God created everything perfectly. And yet he inserted himself into man, breathed himself into man so that he could be present on the earth. And he said to be fruitful and multiply. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. And he gave him dominion because he made him in his image and according to his likeness and gave him dominion over all the earth. It's not a delegation. It's him inserting himself on this earth through humanity. Breathe his spirit into him. Yet man was seduced by Another opposer, the opposer of God, Satan, who came in the form of a serpent and Satan tempted man with what he already had. He said, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. But God already made him like him. And, and yet mankind fell into the temptation that the one thing that God wanted to prohibit him to do was not to know or not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knew good, but he did not need to know evil. And yet man chose not to believe the truth of what God says of who he is, but rather now to be seduced to know not just good, but to know evil. And in knowing evil, man didn't lose his status but man lost his awareness. Adam hides from God because now sin came into the world through Adam. Stay with me, family. Sin came into the world through Adam by Adam's willing disobedience of God, who he was in communion and covenant with, one with God. And now Adam is sinful. And from Adam on, we have inherited Adam's sin, his nature. And so that's why the Bible says in sin, my mother conceived me. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere here, guys. In sin, my mother conceived me. And then we see the children of Israel and we see the law that was written. And that law that was written was written so as to bring divine order because God is holy. And he asks his people to be holy for I am holy. And yet 
his people, they, 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 they committed to this holiness that they would follow this covenant that they would follow with God, this contract that they would follow with God sealed by blood, a blood of sacrifice, because it was, it's always about the blood because the Bible says that the life is in the blood. And, and so now, um, it's being sealed by the blood. And then mankind reveals from, 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 Genesis on that man cannot live up to the holiness of God. That in being born sinful, there's nothing we can do for ourselves. And yet God called the Hebrews a people of God who were called to execute this righteousness and this justice to be for all what the world could not be. And yet those people failed. It's a story of man's persistent and continual failure. And it's not just the story of humanity. It's the story of our lives that we try to live this perfect life for God. And yet we continue to fail over and over and over and over and over again. And we see continual failure and sin and the consequences and sin and then bondage and the Lord liberates them and they fall into sin. And so these people who were chosen to be now the righteousness of God, to execute the righteousness and the justice of God, can't do it. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus now comes in in the, in the gospel narratives and he becomes the Hebrews that the Hebrews could not because God had to call a Hebrew. He had to call a Hebrew because he promised that it would be through the Hebrews that righteousness and justice would be fulfilled. And so he called a Hebrew and he became the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not. He became the man that man not mankind could not. And by the sacrifice of his blood, he was able to fulfill what we could not. And so what the law could not do, the blood of Jesus did. The law could not make us righteous, but the blood of Jesus did. Die. This is where now it comes full circle because this Jesus has now made us one in him. Now in Jesus, I can be a child of God, not by my work, not by my doing, but simply by my faith in him. And now by believing in him, I become the righteousness of God. Now with the righteousness of God clothed on me, not based off of what I do, but based off of the one who represented me. He's my representative. And I hear this all the time, how people are frustrated by how Adam's sin caused the consequence of uh, of, of our, uh, you know, it caused us to, to fall into this predicament of death for the wages of sin is death. And people are like, I hate the fact that Adam did this and that Adam put me in this situation, but I love the fact that Adam did it because if a man put me in this without my own doing, then another man can get me out of this, not by my own doing. And that's the very story that there was a second Adam who came and did for me what I could not do for myself. And so now it's not ever been about my performance, never been about how well I fulfill the law, never been about how much Bible I read, never been about how much reading I do, but about a person who came and did for me what I could never do for myself. And now I can enter into the presence of God, not because I am good or perfect or because I had it all together, but because somebody did it for me and entered on my behalf as a mediator between me and God. Somebody replaced me. 
It was a switch. It was a switch. And so now Jesus exchanges my sin for his righteousness. It was a transfer. It's a transfer. You're going, okay, pastor, I'm hearing all of that. Why, why does this matter? Because the moment that I have faith in Jesus Christ, I am in Jesus Christ. That was my sermon on Sunday that I was preaching that the moment I have faith in Jesus Christ, I am in Jesus Christ. And once I'm in Jesus Christ, now I live out as Christ lives out, not because I can do it or because I have it all together, but because now Christ who lives in me. We read it earlier. I've been crucified with Christ no longer. It is I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now Christ is living in me, through me. I'm not living on my own. And so now instead of the children of Israel, he's called a new people, not by blood, but by faith. There's so much history here. I know, I know I gave you a lot there, but I had to give you all of that to help you understand why these words that we read just now are so profound because you see up until Jesus, thank you, God, for giving me this word. By the way, I come with nothing prepared. I just come just to share the message of Jesus Christ. And I come to share this word. I have nothing prepared, but the Lord is really aligning me right now to this moment and what he wants me to speak up the Hebrew people knew everything up to Jesus. He knew everything. They knew everything up to Jesus. They knew about the law. They knew about all the stuff that, that, were, that I just spoke about. They knew all this. They knew it very well. They had a very good understanding of it. But the part they missed was Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> And so Hebrews is weighty. And the reason why Hebrews is so weighty is because you need to understand the context that he's talking to these Hebrews who know everything up to Jesus. And if there's a word that I'm getting is that the book of Hebrews, what we just read just now, is saying that this has all been about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. The plan was always Jesus. The strategy was always Jesus. It was never anything else but Christ. It was never anything else but Jesus. Jesus was always the plan. He was always the plan from the beginning because you heard the story that he said, that he said, in her seed, he shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head. From the beginning, God planned it. This was always, I love that. This was always plan A. There was never a plan B. And the reason why there was never a plan B, because plan A could never fail. God had this plan from the beginning. And the reason why we know this is because Jesus did not just show up and what the book of Hebrews is really trying to, to really point the people to in a very theological and a, a theologically deep and rich way is to help the Hebrews understand that Jesus was there all the way through. 
It was always Jesus. Jesus was always there. As a matter of fact, you who believe that you're children of Abraham, who were children of the promise, where did the promise come from? And what the book of Hebrews is trying to point people to, we're going to see this as we read it, is the book of Hebrews is trying to point to the fact that the promise came from Jesus. Yeah, the Jesus you crucified, the promise came from him. How do we know that? Because if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 15, sorry, I was like rolling through the chapters. In Genesis chapter 15, if you go back, we see in Genesis chapter 15, the narrative of when Abraham makes this promise to God and, and he meets this king who's also a priest, a priest, king, prophet, priest, king, who he tithed to and who instituted the sacrifice of blood, splitting the livestock in half that the blood would pour from the middle. And this priest king had the name Melchizedek. Melchizedek being the name priest king, literally meaning priest king, Abraham is meeting and having a conversation with Jesus. His Melchizedek was Christ. Melchizedek was always there. <laughs> and so this, this, this promise that was made was being made by Jesus, Joshua, when he was taking the people after they had gone through the wilderness, when, when they met, sorry, Moses, first of all, when he met God, uh, he encountered Jehovah. He encountered Yahweh. This was Christ. Christ was there. And, and, and then Joshua, when he stood at the walls of Jericho and, 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 and he didn't know what to do next. And he said, there was a, there was a general of the army, an angel. But this angel was Jesus. Or what about Israel? Even before all that Israel who would form what we now know as the nation of Israel. Before that, he wrestled with an angel and that angel left a, a limp in his body. That angel was Jesus. Jesus, what Hebrews is trying to point us to is this reality that Jesus didn't just show up. Jesus was always there. I, I, I don't know why I have to, I feel the necessity to, to, to really dig in on this, but, but, but Jesus was always there. Jesus has always been there. Jesus has never been gone. He was always there. He existed from the beginning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. He spoke spoke the Logos and the Logos became creation and all creation he consists. He is within all things and all things are sustained by him. It has always been Jesus and the fullness of the Godhead was, was poured out into flesh, humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. This has always been about Jesus. This has always been about Jesus. And so now the book opens up where he speaks about this priest king, this king who is a priest, 
this Melchizedek, and you hear this saying over and over that he came according to the order of Melchizedek. He's telling them, you've seen Jesus from the beginning, fam. Jesus has been here from the beginning. This was always God's plan. God didn't just flip the script. It was always part of the script. It was always part of the plan. And he says in verse three, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word, the logos of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent glory. And here he's saying to him, I'm going to start this book with Jesus because I'm coming to talk to y'all about Jesus. Everything that you've read, Everything that you've been testifying about, everything that you've been waiting for has always been here. It's always been Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It says, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands, Jesus. Like a cloak, you folded them up and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. It's always been Jesus. And he says to, he says, this God who's exalted him to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. It's always been Jesus. And yet sin from the beginning made us less than the angels. And yet now in Christ, we get to be seated above the angels. Remember, we read in Ephesians that we are seated in heavenly places. Why? Because we are in Christ. This is what faith does. And what he's saying is that our access to this royal priesthood is in Christ. Our faith in Christ. And of course, he's saying, who... Who, who, who is man that you would be mindful of him or the son of man that you would take care of him? Why is God paying so much attention to, to mankind? Because from the beginning, God inserted himself into this world through mankind. God came into his creation through mankind. And so in verse 17, he says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. I'm going to give you this last thing because I'm out of time. Um, I can go all day. By the way, I'm just getting started with Hebrews. I love, I love Hebrews. I love the richness of Hebrews, the profundity of Hebrews. But what, what I, what I find, uh, uh, so beautiful about this imagery. I want you to see this. This is always, I hope you're catching what I'm saying. This was always God's plan. Like this was always God's plan. The law was meant to point us to Christ. The law was meant us to, to point us to be dependent on Christ. The, the sacrificial law was meant to point us to Christ. These were all foreshadows of what Christ would do, of what Christ would become for us what Christ would accomplish for us. See, the Hebrews had no issue with understanding the profound implications of a man dying on the cross. 
for the sins of mankind. Because they understood the power of the blood. They understood that because the life is in the blood, the payment for death must be in the blood. They understood that something is transferred in the sacrifice. They were trained from the beginning by the written law as God intended it to be. That the way things are paid for is through sacrifice. And so they would sacrifice the blood animals. Who sacrifices blood animals? The priest. They couldn't even do it for themselves. They needed a priest to do it. Again, teaching them, training them in the law of God. Notice the law was really more about what they could not do and what God had to do through a mediator. They needed a priest to do it for them. A priest would have to go and make the sacrifice for them. And they understood that at the moment that the animal that they brought that came with no blemish, the moment that the animal was sacrificed, they knew that their sin would be forgiven. The sins up to that point that they committed would be forgiven and they could walk away. They understood that. They understood that. They had a good understanding of that. And so now Paul, sorry, not Paul, many believe it's Paul. Um, some believe it was Apollos. Others believe that no one knows exactly who the author is, except that the author knew Timothy. But that's another conversation for another day. Um or was very close to Timothy, just by the language of it. But when we read this, he says, we have a faithful high priest. Because in those days, they understood what that meant. The high priest could go to the Holy of Holies. They could not because they had sin. So they needed a representative. So even when they came with their sacrifice, a representative had to come for them to the presence of God to mediate on behalf of them. So after the blood sacrifice was, was given, the mediator would go and intercede and pray on behalf of the people. They understood that. And now what he's saying is, is he's saying, we have a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make the propitiation for the sins of the people. He's saying, we have a priest that's coming to do that for us. This was all pointing to what we should anticipate, not for where we're stuck. We can anticipate what is to come. And it's Jesus. Because the same Jesus who would be the priest is the same Jesus who would be the sacrifice. He was the priest who would give himself as the sacrifice. There's so many things that I want to really speak into that. But how do we enter into this place? Faith. Did you hear that? Faith. Faith. We have the privilege to enter because of faith. 
we enter with Christ because of faith. Christ mediate. Look what it says in verse 14. We have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, faith. Notice he talks about the failure of the people of the wilderness who did the practices that we just talked about. So we see they could not enter in. Notice why. They could not enter in, not because of their lack of performance. They could not enter in because of their lack of faith. Faith was the problem. Did you hear that, family? Faith was the problem. Faith was the issue. It wasn't performance. Are you guys reading what I'm reading? I want to make sure we're both reading the same thing here. So we so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Family, what's keeping you? There's some people right now who are saying, man, I need proof of God, evidence of God. It's your faith that is evidence of God. It is your faith that gives you access to the presence of God. It's not your performance. It's not being good. It's not having it all together. But it's your faith. I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting. I'm ranting. But I love the word. That wasn't even the point of what I came to share today. My point is, and now I can get to what I really want to say. The word that the Lord is giving us today. Is that it is faith. That gives us the rest we need. That's actually the word today. Faith gives us the rest that we need. Like, like, soak on that. That's that's the word. That's the word. As I'm reading, and the Lord is faith is what gives us the rest. That we need. If we are in Christ. I know I'm going a little deep here. But stay with me. Okay. Stay with me fam. If we're in Christ. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. Then if we're in Christ. Then we're in Sabbath. All the time. I had a brother of mine who said something that was that just stuck with me. Just stuck with me. Oh my goodness, I'm I'm running short on time. Oh my gosh. I wish I could stay here because I, I just I just want to sit on this. Um it took me a while to get here, but I hope this was a blessing to you. Um, people say, Well, when do we celebrate the Sabbath? When do we practice the Sabbath? You don't practice the Sabbath anymore. You practice the presence of God. Because the Lord is your Sabbath. So you live in Sabbath. You exist now in Sabbath. If you're in Christ, he is your Sabbath. 
He is your rest. And a friend of mine said something to me that was so profound. It wasn't that I didn't know it, but it's it's when he said it, it was so simple. And yet it was just so profound. And it, I mean, I, you know, he bothers me because he says some stuff that just bothered me sometimes. But then I can't say he's wrong. But he said something that just brought brought so much context and understanding to what I to to what I understood as it meant rest. He said, God isn't doing anything else anymore. On the seventh day, he rested and he was done. I thought about that. I said, but he's doing things. What do you mean? But anything that God is doing, he's doing through humanity. And so God is interacting with humanity, but God is at rest. God didn't start on Monday anymore. He didn't go to Monday now. He was done. The Lord rested. Did you hear the Lord do anything after that? No, he just spoke. He operated in rest. He said, well, yeah, well, we go back to work. That's the problem. And that's what Jesus was saying. Like, oh my gosh, he healed this man on the Sabbath. You got the Sabbath wrong. The Sabbath is a spiritual principle. I know I'm going deep and that's another conversation for another day. But I want to make sure you understand this. The Sabbath is a spiritual principle. The Sabbath is not a day. It's a state of being. The Sabbath is a state of mind. And the reality is, is many of us are still seeking a Sabbath in our lives. And yet our lives should be a Sabbath. If you are in Christ and Christ is the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, then you are in Sabbath. You're in rest. (laughs) You work. Doesn't mean you don't work hard, but you work hard in rest. You learn to rest. Look what he says. And what gets you there? What gets you in the rest is your faith. Huh? Oh, I hope this is making sense because we live in a restless society, a society of people who have anxiety and are burdened and are just lost and, 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 and they can't find rest in the church. People aren't finding rest. But he said, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, who are burdened. He says, and I will give you rest. How does Christ give us rest? He gives us himself. He is our rest. That's why it says in verse four, notice I'm only on the fourth chapter, but you see where I'm going. I had to give you all that to understand where we're going because this has always been about Jesus and our faith gives us rest. For he has spoken in a certain place, verse four, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Look what he says. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day. The Sabbath is a location. It's not a time. The Sabbath is a state of being. It's not a time. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 
And then verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Oh my gosh. Go back, read, read, read Hebrews 4. Read Hebrews 4 again. For if Joshua had not given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. When you are in rest, you don't perform for God anymore. You let God perform through you. When you rest, whether you're working on your business or school or family or your marriage, you begin to realize it's not me flowing, but God flowing through me. When you're in rest, you begin to learn and understand that God is the one who is working all things in you. When you're in rest, you learn you can't take credit for anything because God is the one doing it for you. When you're in rest, you learn that I can do nothing without Christ, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you're in rest, you learn that he is my Sabbath and he is my peace, that even though the world is tumultuous around me, but in God, I can find rest. And when you're in rest, you learn that I don't need to trust in men or in princes, but I can trust in the Lord. When you're in rest, you learn Xanax only gets me so far. But my time in the Lord gets me further. When you're in rest, you learn to trust in the Lord, even when your marriage is falling apart, even when things aren't going the way you want it to go. When you're in rest, even when there's an eviction notice or there's pain in your body, or you learn that Christ is living through you, when you're in rest, nothing can take away your joy, your peace. And this is why you need faith. Your faith will give you the rest that you seek. Your faith in Jesus Christ allows you to receive the sacrifice of your high priest who sacrificed himself. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Right, babe? I know my wife's on here. She's somewhere on here. May we find rest in the Lord.